I don't suppose a sermon needs an official title or caption, but I've always liked to create one. However, this time I've had difficulty in deciding just what to call what I believe I am supposed to say today. I tried several different titles, wrote them down, wondered if they fit what this text was all about, and I was totally unsuccessful. We try to visit our kids regularly, and uh, last week as we were over at our daughter's home, daughter and son-in-law are here today, uh, our great-granddaughter assisted me in devising a title for this message. <clears throat> See, her habit is whenever we're there, she'll go over to her trinket or toy area and pick out some little thing to give my wife, Marion, and some little thing to give me. And the instruction is that we should take that little trinket home and bring it back next week. And, and so that's what we do. This week, she gave me this little book. And as soon as I saw it, it's a series of five, I believe, <clears throat> maybe more, children's books. As soon as she gave it to me, I had the title for this message. Took me forever, and I couldn't find one. This is it. Curious Critters. Curious Critters. I want to speak to you today about the Bible's Curious Critters. Never done this before, so we'll make an attempt. I've always loved animals. Always. I, 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 uh, how many of you have a pet at home? They, they get real close, don't they? They get like family. We, we can almost figure out that they are able to communicate with us, even though they can't say the words. Well, I've always liked animals. I, I, I started my first paid job when I was 10 years old, working on our neighbor's dairy farm. It was there at age 10 that I learned how to milk a cow by hand, how to feed all of the farm animals, how to clean up after them, how to harness the horses for a day's work, how to gather the sap from the sugar bush for making maple syrup. I learned all those little jobs for which I've been always grateful. So I always loved animals. One of my favorite activities there was to learn how to mimic the farm animals, how to mimic the moo of a cow or the whinny of a horse or the sounds of any of the animals. And so uh, they, they've become important to me. And, and that's why I have felt comfortable studying this passage of the Word that I believe the Lord has led us to talk about today. There's a television program that features a section called Animals Are Great. And, and I, I believe that. I believe it, and I, I believe it more now than I ever have since I've been studying 
the Bible's curious critters. The, uh, well, maybe before I say anything else, I need to say maybe you think I've lost my marbles. And uh, come to think of it, there are a couple I can't find. <laughs> But just in case you think I've lost my marbles, I'm in good company talking about the Bible's curious critters. If we could have the text for the day on the screen, it's from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 4. I'll read it to you. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon was a very wise man. The next verse, he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke, get it now, about animals and birds, reptiles, and fish. So I'm in good company. There are many, many passages in the Word that talk about curious critters. And I want to just mention three of those passages. And I believe... God the Holy Spirit inspired all of his word, and therefore I believe that there's something of value in these animal stories in the word. The first is in Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Um... I don't know if I want to go there first. Let, let me tell you this story first. There was a time when King David decided to go to church. And he arrived early and was up near the front. And while he was waiting for the service to begin, he was looking around and admiring all the beautiful features of the temple and noticed a, a supporting beam that went across from one side to the other of the temple. And the more he looked at it, the more he saw some details that he hadn't noticed at first. And one of those details was a bird's nest on the beam. And he, he watched that bird's nest for a while and um, presently noticed three little heads pop up <laughs> And peek over the edge of that nest. And, and then after a while, an adult bird flying in to feed the young. The bird must have found a hole in the wall or in a vent somewhere and found their way in and gathered sticks and straw and mud and built their nest right there, directly over the altar. And David wondered, as king, what is my obligation here? Should I call a custodian and, and get them to remove that nest? This just seems to be out of place in the temple. 
does it make the temple somehow dirty? I, I don't know what I should do. And, and he thought, the longer he thought, the more he thought, I'm going to just study that nest. And he watched it. Well, pretty soon the service began, and, and um, he involved himself in the worship experience with all of the others. And when the service was ended, he turned and walked out with all of the others. But about halfway to the door, he, he turned back and just to take another glance at that bird's nest up there and saw the adult bird perched on the beam and looking at him. And he wondered, I wonder what that bird is thinking. Is the bird thinking, where are they going? Why would anyone ever leave this place, this place of safety and solitude? Why, why would they go? Is that what the bird is thinking? Well, David thought more about it and went home, and he couldn't get that bird's nest off his mind, and, and so he took a paper and pencil and began to write. And... Uh, he made note that the sparrow or swallow had been a very wise creature building their nest right there at the altar. And he concluded his remarks by saying these words, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. What do I take from that? this that God is saying to me I have the wonderful privilege of building my nest at the altar I can do that God is inviting me to dwell in his presence to take up residence there to acknowledge the presence of God and to determine that whatever it may take me to understand or do, I will always live in the presence of God. There's a, a phrase that we have been using the last few years. I found that uh, over my 85 years, there have been many different phrases that have caught on and clergymen and others use those phrases for a while until they wear them out and then they use another one. Well, there, there's a phrase that we're using now and I think it needs a little explanation. The phrase has to do with we're hoping that somehow during this service God will show up. And uh, I, I think it needs some explanation because I don't believe we mean what we think it sounds like. I think what we mean is we hope that sometime during this service we will experience a special blessing from the Lord. We, we love to sense his presence in a greater degree of reality. We, we'd like his blessing. I think that's what we mean. I don't believe we mean we're hoping he'll show up. You see, God will not show up. God 
has never shown up. Don't wait for God to show up. He won't. On the authority of God's word, I want to tell you that God is omnipresent. He is here right now and always will be, and he is not some superhero that I'm hoping will see me in my dilemma and like Superman sweep in sometime just before I fall apart and catch me. That, that's not what I mean when I say we hope God shows up today. We don't mean that. He's here. Do you believe that? He's here. And, and so we need to understand that. And so I mention that because the invitation given to us in this passage of Scripture is where are you building your nest? God is here. I'm invited to locate that altar and to build my nest there. To be consciously aware of his presence in my life and to let every aspect of my life stream from my knowledge of his presence. That wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I say, whatever I think, finds its source, its beginning in my identity with him. His presence is home, and it's from there that I move out. It's from there that I speak and think and do. Spiritually speaking, I'm asking the question, where are you building your nest? Mentioned that we've always liked animals. Our last pet was a little white Maltese. Whenever we got in the car, Max found his way to my lap, right there between the steering wheel and my lap. He would lay there. If we were going one mile, or if we were going a thousand miles north for the spring and back a thousand in the fall for the winter, no matter how many miles, Max never moved from my lap while the car was moving. As soon as the car stopped, then he would get up and go over and kiss Marion or look for a snack or, or, or get out of the car with us and go for a walk. But, but as, as long as the car was moving, he was on my lap. He knew where to build his nest, where, where to find safety and security. Our daughter back here is in real estate and I understand that a lot of real estate people say the three most important words in real estate are location, location, location. Now, I understand they've, they've evolved from there and are using three different things now, but a lot of them still say location is the key element in real estate. And it's the key element here also. Where are you building your nest? Where are you spending your time? Where do you see yourself existing? Is it in the presence of God? Are you practicing his presence? Are you adjusting every aspect of your life based on the fact that he is in you and you are in him? Where 
are you building your nest? I think it was the daughter who is here today. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and there was a boisterous storm, thunder and lightning, more harsh than most. It was a scary storm, and I was awake, a bit concerned about the elements of that storm, when I suddenly realized that there was someone else in the room, and it was our daughter. She was standing beside the bed, and I said, what is it, honey? She said, I'm afraid. And I said, well, hop in bed between mommy and daddy. Come on, get in bed. And she did, and, and within minutes, she was sound asleep. You say it was because the storm was over? No, no, it raged on for a long time. She was able to sleep because of the presence of mommy and daddy. It's the message here. Where are you building your nest? Is that where you live? In the presence of God? No, he, he's not going to sweep in. He's here. And he's just calling on us to take the initiative to build our nest in his presence. You see, Jesus never went to the crowds to preach. The crowds came to him. There's a difference. Jesus did not climb up into that tree so he could see Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree so he could see Jesus. We took the initiative to be where he is. And these passages about curious critters are calling on us to take the initiative to build our nest in his presence. We may have to study this idea, find out for us, each of us personally, exactly how to do that, but it can be done. He's promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. All we have to do is adjust our thinking to acknowledge his presence and to go get sticks and straw and mud and build our nest there. Another passage of the word is Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. There we read, Four things on earth are small. Four things on earth are small. Proverbs 30, 24. Yet they are extremely wise. Now these are curious critters. We're going to mention the four curious critters that we find in this passage. But did you note that the verse that precedes the name of the critters says they are extremely wise? That, that Im impressed me, and so I, I looked at every commentary I could find and, and even tried to Google it to, to find out if there's any other place in the Bible that says anything or anyone is extremely wise. And I found that Solomon was more wise than all other men, but the word extremely isn't there. The only place in the Bible where extremely wise 
is used is here with regard to these four curious critters. It may mean something, I don't know for sure, but I think it's important. Well, here are the four curious critters. Ants. Ants. We don't like fire ants, do we? The writer says, whether you like them or not, we're going to observe them. And what we observe is this. They're creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Do you suppose ants think about planning for the future? Are they that wise? Do they know that the winter is coming and we're going to have to get ready for it? Well, this passage says they're extremely wise, so I believe they know something about preparing for the future. Just one comment about that. We can prepare for the future also by building our nest at the altar. That's the safest place to be. No matter what winter storm comes our way, we will always be ready if we live in the nest at the altar. The second is conies. Solomon said, conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Conies are also known as rock rabbits. They look a lot like a rabbit. They're a little, a lot smaller than a rabbit, and they don't have long ears. It's very short ears. The Google will bring up a picture one immediately. And, and they have insight given to them by their creator that they use, and that is this. The coney is not strong and cannot defend itself. No matter what predator wants to overcome them, they can if the coney is out in the open somewhere. But the coney knows to live on the rock. And not only just on the rock, but near a place where there's a crevice in the rocks, where they can slither into that crevice if they are in need of safety, and they can get so far back in that crevice that no predator can touch them. How does a coney know that? Well, their creator made them extremely wise. Somebody suggested that the song we know was written because of this passage. I don't believe so, but I, it's, it's a thought. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. That's what the coney does. And, and this is what we can do. The safest place for us to be in the crevice of the rock, Jesus is called the rock, the safest place for us to be in the crevice of the rock is to build our nest in the sanctuary. That's the safest place to be. And then he says, Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. One locust has never placed any fear in the heart of a farmer. But a whole cloud of locusts 
will. They can destroy a crop. What does the locust know that we don't know? What is the exceedingly great wisdom that the locust has been given? He knows that he needs the fellowship of others in order to secure adequate strength. He gets fellowship, he gets strength, he gets encouragement, he gets safety when he's one of the group. Others are building their nest at the altar. And we can do the same. And we can get to know each other better as we build our nests together and fellowship in the presence of God. The last creature is a lizard. Now, I, I tried to research this lizard and find that most commentaries exchange the word for the word spider. Now, I don't think of a lizard and a spider would be anywhere alike. But, but they say that what they meant was what we know today as a spider. Whatever it is, the commentary said that the Bible says that the lizard can be caught in the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. Whether it's a lizard or a spider, it's the same. The custodian or the owner finds the little creatures and gets them out. Have you ever taken the broom to clean a cobweb and found that it's back tomorrow? They just keep coming back, don't they? And that's the idea here. It says they can be caught in the hand, they're easy to catch, but they're found in king's palaces. Doesn't matter where they are. The most elaborate facility on earth can't keep them away. They just keep coming back. When you build your nest at the altar, you learn all kinds of secrets about bouncing back, don't you? There are a lot of hits that we take while we're on this earth as followers of God, and yet none can destroy us. We'll be back tomorrow because we're living at the altar. We're living in the presence of God. There's one more text, and that's Genesis chapter 6. The... Um, Verse 20 says, two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. This thought is far more essential than we could realize, I think. That's because they're exceedingly wise. The ark is finished. Noah has done a great job in constructing the ark, and it's ready now. Noah's standing at the door. The door is open, and the Lord says to him, these creatures, these, these curious critters are going to be coming to you, and I want you to let them in the door so they'll be saved. And Noah said, well, how am I going to do that? Do I, do I go out into the woods and the fields and corral them? Do I bark and get them to come toward the ark? No, God said, you won't have to go get them at all. They'll come to you. 
that initiative that we read about all the other passages, they will come to you. Well, how is that going to happen? No, your job is simply to receive them when they come into the ark. So presently, a mysterious inner compulsion took place inside of each of these animals. A hard-to-understand enlightenment caused them to direct their attention in a particular direction. And that inner compulsion caused many of them to actually start moving toward the ark. The biggest and the littlest, the strongest and the weakest, all walking together toward the ark. You know, Jesus is referred to as our ark of safety. And there they were walking toward the ark and, and into the ark. What a wonderful picture of the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in each of our lives, that inner compulsion, that conviction that overtakes us occasionally and causes us to go in a certain direction. Whether we choose to or not, that's up to us. We have a free will. But, but God the Holy Spirit prompts us to move toward the ark. He did before we found Christ as our Savior, and he does it every day now. We may have a tendency to do something we shouldn't do or to say something we shouldn't say, but, but God the Holy Spirit will check our spirit and, and that unusual inner feeling will come over us. And we can either honor it or dishonor it. But those who build their nest at the altar are more inclined to honor that inner compulsion called the voice of God the Holy Spirit who guides and directs and enlightens and convicts his people. The closer you are to the person who is whispering to you, the easier it is for you to hear them, right? Put your ear right up next to their mouth and you can hear what they're saying. The closer you are to God, the easier it is to hear the promptings of God the Holy Spirit. Where are you building your nest? Is it in the sanctuary? I don't mean the material sanctuary. I mean, spiritually speaking, are you practicing the presence of God and does everything about you flow from your identity with him. Where are you building your nest? Well, the animals are all safely in the ark, and uh, the people outside are scoffing, laughing at Noah, who built the ark and who announced that it would be necessary to save lives. At any minute, they're sure Noah's going to open the door and come out on the balcony and, and apologize to the world because he's made a terrible mistake when presently 
it began to rain, and you know the rest of the story. Great, great wisdom is given to the Bible's curious critters. The worship team, feel free to come on up. And these critters have something, I think, oh, I know the Bible isn't all about animals. I know that. But these passages and many others convince me that on occasion I ought to listen to what they have to say because they are exceedingly wise. So maybe sometime during this week or even today, some of us will say, I think I better give that some thought and find out what it's all about, this idea of building my nest at the altar. Curious critters, I want to thank my great-granddaughter for today's message.